It's brutal. Okay, so Austin Matthews missed the last two games. We'll see what his status is like for Saturday versus the Boston Bruins. But our TSN hockey insider, Chris Johnston, off the IR. How's it going, CJ? I'm getting there, Julia. It's been uh, it's been a week. Tell me, what's it been like? Like you do the reporting on the injuries, and now you got one of your own. How are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it better on the other side of the injury where you're not sure. the one suffering it. But um, it's been okay. I, you know, I had hand surgery on Monday. It was it came up uh, out of the blue a little bit. I had to get something removed from my palm that was essentially you know restricting my use of my fingers, and then uh, had a hard cast for a couple of days, and that came off and. and I'll tell you, when I had to look at my hand, it was pretty scary. Big and purple and Frankenstein looking uh, after my surgery. Now, here's the question that I want to know, and I'll be so heartbroken. Did it break the running streak? Nope. My hand oh, my gosh. My Let's hand go. away from Julia- my feet, brother. I'm still going. Let's go, Julia. This guy's so, like, you're, you're so a close weapon, to 1,000. But you're close to 1,000 straight days, are you not? Yeah, January 24th, so I'm I'm down to a week wow. and a half or whatever it is. The Let's NHL go. media's Iron Man, our TSN <laughs> hockey insider, Chris Johnston. Uh, Toronto, not their best showing last night versus Detroit, and I guess it's kind of one that will maybe give them the buy for since they've had so many games in these last eight days, and they were without Austin Matthews. He was a game-time decision, and then Bob McKenzie told us on the TSN panel he woke up feeling under the weather, so that made the decision to sit him all the more easier, all the all the easier. I don't know. I got myself into a sentence. I didn't really want to finish there. Where do you think they missed Austin the most last night? Well, in the offensive zone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, it's just funny. Even watching the game on Wednesday against Nashville, you know, you take one pretty big weapon out of the lineup and, and everything just feels a little bit diminished, right? That there's fewer shifts where they're, you know, in a position where you feel like they might score, um, and, and, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of what I see in those games, but, you know, at the same time where they're at in the schedule, you know, the fact there's an illness involved, I, I don't see any harm in resting Austin or perhaps any other player that, that they encounter here throughout the year, because we all know it's about peaking uh, as, as they get towards the end of the season. And this is kind of the, the dog days. So, um, you know, the, the, they just didn't have a lot going. I didn't think offensively last night. Power play is a little bit uh, reduced when you when you take that shot off of it, and you know even though Austin's season is a little bit a tick or two off where he was last year, still was on pace for what I think 40 goals and 95-ish points, and so you know it's it's tough to you're, you're not finding any you know all the love to Bobby McMahon, and it's been a great story seeing him make his NHL debut, but there's a pretty big fall off uh, to the next person in the lineup when when you take Matthews out. Well, I'm curious, CJ, how much you think that ailment, because we talked about this a lot over the course of the year. Like, we're all waiting for that breakout to come just based on what we saw happen a season ago. But now there's some reporting that there's been an ailment over the course of maybe the entire year or something that's kind of been bothering him. Um, Do you think that that's impacted his shot and impacted the, I guess, lack of offense that he's been producing to what was expected of him coming into the year? I think that's reasonable to think. I mean, certainly my understanding has been – that Austin really hasn't been quite fully himself at any point this season. Um, and, you know, remember he did miss a little bit of time, I think, in camp, and, and he's been able to play all the games, but the team's had a lot of other injuries. You know, I, I think it's not unusual, though. There, you know, certainly lots of players around the league play at much less than what they would describe as 100% of their capacity. And so, I, you know, I don't think that he's looking for any uh, – you know, he's not, he's not looking for us to make excuses for him. But, but you know, if, if you're if you're limited, I think you, you saw it earlier in the season. It seemed to me 
his skating wasn't maybe quite as powerful as we've seen in the past. I'd actually think that that's improved of late. You know, there's probably a bit of, bit of luck involved in there in terms of you just look at the shooting percentage year over year. There's been a pretty big decline, but he's still getting a lot of shots and, and chances. So, you know, I, I don't know that he's, he's miles off of, of that, uh, of the season he had a, a year ago, even though it, it looks like it in some ways production-wise. I think if you look under the hood, there's a lot of good things happening when he's on the ice. You know, he's still been a dominant 200-foot player for the Leafs. That, you know, a lot, you know not, not a lot. The other team is generating when, when Austin and his line mates have, have played this year at five on five. But, you know, I, I think that it's perfectly fine. I mean, you, you would willingly sacrifice some amount of production from your top players to have broader team success. And the Leafs have been a much better team defensively. And I think Austin's been part of that too. I think that, that maybe you've seen him sacrifice a little bit of his offense to round out his defensive game even more than it has been in years gone by. So the situation with Austin Matthews has kind of sparked a little bit of a conversation about load management in the NHL, but I've been thinking, like, is it even fair to call it load management when he is banged up? Where do you sit there? Well, I don't think this is true load management. I mean, load management is, you know, sitting a player out on a back-to-back, for example, just just to, you know, not have their body endure um, the strain of those games. I mean, I think in this case, it's clear Matthews is not at, at his full capacity and then last night he was sick so um i don't think this is true load management but i, I you know the conversation is still worthwhile I, I think especially with a team like the Leafs, i mean pretty much locked into second place i know a lot of things can happen there's still 37 games 38 games whatever we're at left in the year so you know it's not to say they have second wrapped up but it's it's a pretty clear runway here to the first round for them and so whether it's you know when, when they have now that the depth they have on the blue line do they try to you know, sit out Mark Giordano, maybe some of those, the, the back-to-back games just to preserve, you know, someone of his age a little bit more. You know, it'll be curious to see how they handle that. It hasn't really become something that the NHL has embraced as a whole. Uh, I don't think players seem to like it too much, but, you know, I have to believe over time it will become a little bit more normalized and, and something that's part of the sport. And, you know, it's 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 a lot to play four games in a week, and especially when you get in – your mid or late thirties. And, and if your team doesn't necessarily need every single point on the table, I think it, it does make sense to, to try to manage the bodies and, and minds of players. And I think to some degree, the Leafs are doing it right. They, they swapped in Jordy Ben last night. I mean, when you're fully healthy and you're carrying 22 or 23 skaters, there is an opportunity to at least at the bottom ends of your lineup, you know, mix and match some of the players and, and keep everyone involved. It's funny you, you bring that up because we were kind of questioning the, you know, bringing, Connor Timmons out of the lineup and getting Jordy Ben in and then taking out Hunt and getting Wayne Simmons an opportunity. You know, we've seen this in the past where Sheldon Keefe just seems like a genuinely like good dude. How much of that decision do you think was based on the fact that it was, you know, the dad's trip and he wants to get everybody into a game at some point in this trip? Yeah, there's probably an element of that. It's also a back-to-back. So there's the opportunity, I think, to justify it to yourself that you're Getting, you know, you're injecting some fresh legs, even though you won Wednesday, you know, you have to play again Thursday. And I think that there's an element of it where, okay, you know, we, we can see that Wayne Simmons is pretty far down the depth chart, even though he's stayed in the NHL roster. I mean, they've called up a number of players and played them ahead of Wayne at, at, at times, including SDA, you know, back last month, you know, obviously Bobby McMahon coming up now, but you know, there's, there's the, the full understanding. I think that you could get into a playoff scenario or even later in the year where injuries hit and you need, to rely on these guys a little bit more. And so keeping them at least somewhat in, in game shape or giving them some games, I think is, is probably a wise strategy. So I think it's, I think it's sort of a combination of all those things. And then of course, 
know, having everyone's dad there wouldn't be, wouldn't be quite as much fun. I would think if you're, if you've come in and your, your son isn't able to play in any of those games. I mean, ironically, I did see that Brian Matthews is here, Austin's dad, and, and you know, he hasn't had a chance to see his son play just because of the situational aspects of that. But, um, you know, I think it's I think it's a little bit of all of the above, and, and just knowing that any team that plays deep into the season is going to use a lot of different players, and, and, you know, we've already seen it this year. I mean, the, the Leafs went pretty far down their, their blue line depth chart uh, in, in November, December, and, uh, you know, I think that they want to stay as ready as possible if they have to do something like that again. Isn't it crazy, though, like we're sitting here – kind of praising Keith, I guess, or saying like, oh, it's nice, like he, he, good for humanity. He's out here doing good things for his players. But the guy good beforehand. Good for humanity. Well, you know, what is it? <laughs> but, the, but the guy who was here beforehand, like we, we still to this day very upset about Jason Spets getting scratched in his first game and whatnot. And, and now you got Sheldon Keith, who's, you know, giving some players some games because it's Father's Weekend potentially. It's just funny when I always look at the, the difference between the two guys. Well, the um, shuttle thing was ridiculous. I mean, we don't need to read, but like that oh, was a, that was insane. Um, well, wasn't so, the reasoning too like, oh, he's not quite there on the penalty kill? Jason Spezza didn't kill penalties. Well, like, he was, yeah, like he was, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that years later, but like they just signed him. He ended up playing another couple seasons here and being pretty productive, and not finding a way to get him in the lineup for the opening game was was nuts. That was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, in conversation with Chris Johnson, our TSN Hockey Insider, one of the, I guess, bigger talking points coming out last night, though, was the Bobby McMahon reversed goal. Um, you know, kicking motion, I guess, and, and according to the rule, Rule 49.2, a goal cannot be scored by an attacking player who uses a distinct kicking motion to propel the puck into the net with his skate or foot. A goal cannot be scored by an attacking player who kicks a puck that deflects into the net off a player, goalkeeper, or official. So even though it did go off of you know the Detroit defenseman, it still uh, was reversed. But there's been a lot of controversy over that goal because clearly it wasn't a distinct motion to score the goal. It just, you know, he's trying to kick it elsewhere and it ends up going off of bodies, plays a little ping, uh, pinball, and ends up in the back of the net and the goal gets wiped off. I mean, where do you sit on this? And do you think that this will be a rule that could be looked at at, at future GM's meetings and maybe they figure something out where goals like that that are purposely kicked in kind of count going forward? You know, I'm genuinely split on it because I think really the thinking behind the rule is they don't want players around the key, the, the crease kicking, uh, you know, making kicking motions because that could be dangerous. And, you know, it's, that's actually become a little bit of something I've, hammered upon is just seeing all the accidental skate cuts. We're seeing at all levels of hockey now is it's, it is scary um, because the blades are so sharp. They're able to switch blades mid game. And so I understand why you don't want, you know, if a goalie's splayed out trying to, you know, trap the puck or maybe defenseman's down, you don't want players kicking, but then, you know, you see a play like last night and it's it pretty clear that there was nothing, you know, he was trying to kick the puck up to his, his stick to shoot it. And it goes in off of Matt's skate. Um, you know that that the rule I think was correctly enforced there, but that it's it's not really meant to to take away plays like that. I'm, I'm not sure you can ever get it, it it perfectly set. So you know I don't think that we're going to see this rule changed or altered in any way. I think it's a bad bad break in that moment. You know it's funny I was talking to you know someone who works in the front office of another team this morning about another thing, and he brought up that goal and he said he doesn't understand why that's not a goal. And you know in this case, if someone who doesn't have a horse in the race doesn't work for the Leafs or wasn't isn't part of the Red Wings front office, but um, you know, I just think, unfortunately, there's going to be there's going to be 
unintended consequences of rules, and that's kind of how I chalk this one up. I mean, the, the rule book looks like it was correctly enforced to me, but you watch the play and you're like, there's no way that shouldn't have counted. I mean, we heard them on the broadcast. They, they, you know, Gordon and MJ were expecting that to be a goal, and, and yeah. you know, because it's not like he kicked it in the net. He didn't directly put it off a of matter on purpose. He's, you know, trying to make a play at the crease to, to score a, a more legitimate goal. Yeah, and we have to call ourselves out a little bit because you live by the sword, you die by the sword. We cheer when it goes our way, when it goes the Leafs' way in New Jersey, and now we're like, yeah, come on, when it goes the other way uh, against the Leafs. What were you going to say, Ab? Well, I just think that it's silly that a play like that can't stand. Yet we see so many, you know, ones that look like they're distance kicking motions that maybe they say, "Oh no, he angled the skate," which clearly is more of a kick or a, a, a deliberate way to use your foot to get the puck into the back of the net that end up counting. That that's the only thing that bothers me about stuff like this is, you know, there's there's so much inconsistencies in in the way that the rule book is called. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's fair, and you know, ultimately, I think we should be trying not to find reasons to take goals off the board. Um, yep. You know, I think the league's become more exciting because offense is on the increase, and and it's almost like anything you can do to get the puck in the net should be allowed. But you know, as I say, I'd, I'm saying that out of one side of my mouth, but out of the other, I'm saying, well, let's let's protect the players against these skate cuts. Right. And I do think if you have more guys kicking around the net, you're you're probably going to get players cut by accident in those situations. Okay, last thing on anything officiating or rule-based before we get into more fun stuff, CJ. Michael Bunting, there was a couple calls that had Leaf Nation a little bit upset last night. There was one with Michael Bunting. Uh, And MJ brought up an interesting point that maybe his reputation is costing him some calls recently. Do you think that could be factoring in? I would bet. You know, I think that, you know, we saw this happen at a time when Nazem Kadri was a Leaf, you know, Right. You get on you get on one side of it where you see a player that's drawing all kinds of penalties, the most in the league, which Kadri did for a time, and, and and Bunting has done here for a while. And then at a certain point, you know, the referees, you know, they they it's a little bit of a boy who cried wolf maybe at times, or they feel that he might embellish things. And, and I could I could see the reputation, you know, going the other way. I think that that's yeah. that happens naturally in the sport. You know, it certainly doesn't happen just to Leafs players. I'm sure. Leafs fans will will focus in on that because they're watching all those games. But, um, you know, I, I think that a lot goes into penalty calls and things like that, and the referees don't want to look bad either. It's not to say Michael Bunting makes a habit of that, but certainly he's in the middle of a lot of skirmishes and scrums and, and, you know, is calling for penalties and has gotten a lot called against him. And so maybe this is water finding its level a little bit too. He was very well justified in being heated. He took a good chop to the neck last night from Ben Sherrod. I'll say that, but you're right. It, it's law of averages. Sometimes it's a little embellished, and, I mean, eventually the, the, the right calls get made at, at some point, you would think. Uh, in conversation with Chris Johnson, our TSN Hockey Insider, let's get to the fun stuff, CJ. It's officially trade season, I think, in, in the NHL. It's at least starting to warm up here. In terms of how aggressive you expect the Toronto Maple Leafs to be, would you expect for them to look to be adding one of these big impact names at the deadline, or do you think that they're more in the market of beefing up the the you know peripherals of this roster and adding you know some you know top nine or another depth piece on the back end, or you know strengthen some of the bottom end of the roster? I I would think they'll be pretty active, you know. The, the one thing is they're seeing what we're seeing. I mean, this team has made a lot of defensive improvements um, under the hood. It's, it, you know, they, they allow way fewer chances and they've allowed way fewer goals through the same point of last season. So they're set up, I think, 
you know, for some success. But, you know, if, if something's lacking, as we've seen, you know, some of the offensive touch, um, you know, fall off for, for the team. And so I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they got a semi-impactful forward um, in, at this deadline. I, I think it kind of makes the most sense from where they sit now. Now, you know, plenty can change in six weeks, you know, where it's, it's going to be actually interesting. We've got a Friday trade deadline uh, this, this year. So uh, we're, we're actually, you know, just weeks away now. But, uh, you know, injuries or something else could, could you know, alter some course. But, um, you know, I, I think that, that the target probably is a forward. And there's a number of guys who fit the bill. You know, what, what the Leafs will be weighing is, is the, the cost and, you know, the contractual status of that player. I think by and large – the Leafs don't like to be doing a lot of business in, in the rental market. You know, those are the, the typical players you see traded, but you know, I, I don't know that they'll be giving up a first round player, first round pick, for example, for on someone on an expiring contract. That's not something they've typically done. I know they did it in the Nick Foligno instance. That that was kind of a unique year. If you remember the Leafs were dominating their Canadian division. They only needed to beat those teams to get to the conference final that year, the way the playoffs were working. And so I think they decided to take more of a role than, than typically the front office would want to. Um, but you know, I think that they'll be out there adding an, another forward. That that's that's my expectation. Someone maybe who can play on the second line or perhaps on the third line, but just secure maybe the middle part of the the, the forward roster. I think is is probably where the the biggest chips will be spent, and then you know maybe some nibbling around the 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 edges, the way we saw last year where they brought in Blackwell and you know a few other sort of depth pieces just to secure things. But you know, I, they they probably got one chip to play, and I, I think it'll be used on a forward. Uh, CJ, last one for you. Uh, AB, you asked this one. You feel more strongly about the this whole situation with the Vancouver okay. Canucks. So, so CJ, I'm sure you heard the comments yesterday coming out of Canucks, uh, you know, media about Quinn Hughes and and the news that Tanner Pearson out for the season with a hand injury, and he came out after the game and reportedly said that it wasn't handled properly. I remember earlier this year there was also a story going around about Jason Dickinson and how he had played the entire season last year with a broken hand without even knowing what was going on. I mean, are, are, I don't want to say there's a pattern here. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like, could there potentially be a concern here about trust issues developing within the players and the training staff in Vancouver? And like, what do you make of that entire situation and the comments from Quinn Hughes last night? Yeah, it seems like there's an element of that. You know, I can't recall too many circumstances where a teammate has made a comment like the one Quinn Hughes made. And, you know, it does sound in, in Tanner Pearson's case that, that he had an initial surgery on his hand, was expected to be out four to six weeks, you know, about a month later, had to have another surgery on his hand, um, you know, would suggest something wasn't done right initially. And then he's had a third procedure since, uh, which is cost in the season. Um, you know, these mistakes can happen, I, I think, on any team. You know, I'm not prepared to go so far as to say the Canucks have, you know, a whole series of these kind of moments, but, but there's some concern about how that was handled. And so for sure, when you, you see a teammate come to, to Pearson's defense, way Quinn used it to say that that wasn't handled properly, it speaks to some of that distrust. And I imagine that's something that will have to be handled internally within the Canucks organization, because, you know, obviously those, those sorts of things are important um, that, that players trust are getting the best medical care. The CBA does allow them to get, external opinions you know that's that's allowed a player can seek a second or third opinion um you know from from the team doctor um but you know in this case it unfortunately it seems like it didn't go in tanner pearson's way and you, you get to his age and to miss a whole season you know in your 30s that's 
that's a tough spot to be in and a tough spot for him to have to come back from, hoping that uh, he's on the, the, the proper road to recovery now. Yeah, and uh, well, hopefully he can, you know, get the proper proper care and be good to go next year too uh appreciate it as always cj uh hoping that you also recover yeah. very nicely here what is your recovery timeline i guess when will your uh, hand be fully you know active i guess again i'm honestly not sure i'm basically relearning how to like use and strengthen my fingers so um i've got daily exercises i'm doing i'm gonna try to file a, a written story next week so I'll be back to writing next week, but uh, I can still, my thumbs still both work well, so I can still text away and, and, and work around it. But, um, you know, oh, I was gonna... wondering if you were going with the voice note texts or the voice No, I, I still got the thumbs working pretty well, but it might be eight weeks or so before it feels totally normal, um, is, is what the specialist told me. And so I'm in for, in for a little bit of an uphill grind, but I, I can't complain. I'm still uh, lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Well, hopefully by March 3rd trade deadline where those thumbs will be flying away they will be flying hopefully you're back to full strength by then uh appreciate you hopping on as always pal we'll chat again next week have a great weekend thank you and julia you killed it in halifax love to watch you at the world juniors so thank you sir it was a lot of fun <laughs> there he goes